You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Lyndall Clipstone, fantasy author of the new book, Unholy Terrors. We had a delightful conversation about basically where she finds her passion for the fantasy genre. And it all started with some truly, truly wonderful RPG video games that you can kind of choose your own adventure and decide the character's arc that you want to be and how the story turns out. It's a lot of fun. I really, really love this conversation. Uh, I used to be a big video game person. I'm not so much anymore just because of timing, but it was fun to talk about some of the video games that I used to play when I was younger, which were very much the same style, these games that uh, it was a very open world and you could decide what would happen with your character and whether they were going to be good or bad and the consequences that they were going to experience. It was just really fun kind of falling back into that world and uncovering how Lyndall used that to inspire herself to first write fan fiction and then create worlds completely out of nothing for herself. Really, really loved it. Love the book. It is a perfect book for this time of year where it's, you know, if you're listening to this when the episode comes out, Halloween was just yesterday and we're still in that kind of dark and and cold time of year where there's nothing better than curling up with a good book and getting lost into a new world. And along those lines, if you'd like an additional book to get lost into a new world, I just finished The Adventures of Amina El Sarafi by S.A. Chakraborty or Shannon Chakraborty, which is what uh, she goes by as this for this particular title. If you are a fan of fantasy novels and pirates, you are going to adore this book. Uh, Amina El Sarafi is a female captain of a pirate crew, uh, but she has basically retired. She has put that in her past, but she is very, very infamous and known all across the seven seas. And when a young girl goes missing, the grandmother comes and basically has asks Amina El Sarafi to take on one last job. And it's an offer she cannot refuse. So it is turns into a bit of a heist story that is all along the seven seas. It has all of the piratey goodness you would want. There's swashbuckling, there's treasure, but there's also all these fantasy elements about gods and mortals and big monsters and all sorts of stuff. Just a wonderful book. I think you're really, really going to love it. I adored that. That's The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. And it really does pair nicely with Unholy Terrors by Lyndall Clipstone. I think you'll adore both of those books. If you want to get a hold of me, if you want some additional book recommendations or just see what I'm up to lately, you can always find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Passions and Prologues, or you can shoot me an email at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. I'm always happy to chat with you there as well. That is all the housekeeping. I am going to let you dive into this discussion with Lyndall Clipstone, author of Unholy Terrors on Passions and Prologues. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my 
favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paperfold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Okay, Lyndall, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? I am super passionate about the Dragon Age video games, particularly Dragon Age Inquisition. I love it. Okay, so first things first, let's let's start at the beginning. What was kind of your introduction to video games? Like what got you into the kind of the thing that made you fall in love with it? I've always really loved playing games I think uh I've been sort of just a gamer for my whole life since I had like a Nintendo and um I my partner who I met when I was in high school is also like a really big gamer so like Mm -hmm. kind of united in our love for video games but I was really really into this video game called Knights of the Old Republic which was Mm -hmm. like a Star Wars sort of role-playing game Um, and one of the best parts of it for me was that there was this really strong sort of element of you could have relationships with all of the characters and like those interactions sort of shaped the story. And that was absolutely like, I'm always searching for more games like that. So that was what led me to Dragon Age because it was created by the same, um, game company at the time. So yeah, I played like the first one um, of quite a long time ago and then the second one. And then there was just something about Inquisition, I think, because it's been so long between games that mm-hmm. I played through it and just everything was so perfect, like the setup. So the game starts where there's like this sort of, I'm trying to think of the word for it, a coming together of like all of the different factions in the realm to do mm. sort of like a peace talk and then there's like a horrible explosion and it kills like the game's version of the Pope called the divine. And they think you did it because you're the only person who survives coming out of the wreckage. And you've got this weird thing embedded in your hand that can actually coincidentally close like the tears in the fabric of the world that have now opened up because of the explosion. So Mm -hmm. like, it's just the way that you're put into the game as a character is really fun as well. You're like, Oh, you know, like this mystery around you and now you have to unite everybody together. And it sort of goes on where like you can make sort of good and bad choices and that sort of shapes. Mm -hmm. I really love how like you can participate in the world so much. Um, And I did such a thorough playthrough. I was a mage, a human mage inquisitor, which in the world of Dragon Age, mages are sort of, they're forced to live in like um, sort of, I guess like a prison, but they don't Mm -hmm. call it a prison. And it's like, they're kind of feared. And I, it's interesting because even within the game, like that's not kind of interrogated particularly well. I feel like there's so much more that they could delve into with that, but you're a mage and then you can choose who to romance out of your party. And I romanced a Templar called Cullen and he was like an ex-Templar. So he, it was like ideological opposites, which is like Mm -hmm. my absolute kryptonite. You know, you're like this, mage who's kind of come from whatever and he's like his previous job was like enforcing the mage's imprisonment so that was so fun and I did like a very very thorough like 90 hour playthrough where Mm -hmm. I 
explored every piece of the world and all of the little extra sort of add-on stories. And I, there's like the side characters can romance each other as well. So I got like the, all of them together. And then I played, they had like a epilogue sort of where it's set like I think a few years in the future and it sort of explores like where all the characters have gone and I was like when I finished that I cried like somebody had (laughs) died I was so bereft it was like the biggest game hangover ever but Uh it's just like as a writer I think getting so immersed in that sort of world was such a good way of sort of directing my brain into like the storytelling mode because you're literally like playing out the story and it's like I love this experience so much how can I replicate this in my own oh my I know so there was a game oh gosh it must it's at least 10 years ago at this point I know it's a series but Fable 2 is oh yeah Fable is good (laughs) I remember like sort like how you were talking about you know like it just the idea I remember that being really the first game that I had played I know there were many more before that but like the first one that I had p- happened to pick up were exactly what you said like your choices in the game they let you be however you wanted to be whether it was like a goody two-shoes or like just purely an awful piece of garbage you could <laughs> do whatever you wanted and like you could still complete the game however but like basically the choices you made determined your abilities and the way that other people like NPCs perceived Yeah, and then like you. your physical appearance changed. As yeah, and I just remember being blown away. Like you said, I've I've always been like a book nerd at my at my heart, but I I do have like I don't play video games anymore, not for like lack of wanting to, but I still have this like tangential interest. Like I'll find myself watching playthroughs of like the new Zelda and stuff just because I'm like I'm very fascinated by it. And but I remember that game specifically. I was like. Like you said, it was so such an immersive experience being like, oh, I am not only playing through this story, I'm changing this story. Yeah, it was really fun. We always joke about that game because I married the town crier in Fable <laughs> 2. Like you would be like in your bedroom together, like and then they did sort of like fade to black and then he'd be like, get your titles. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, this, but that's the thing. I'm like, oh, you could do anything in this game. I'm going to romance the town crier and marry him and have a family. I'm like, why would I do that? But it was just because really- you can. Because you so, can. I'm like, yeah. So did the I assume like when you got done with your massive game hangover, like did you go back and and play it a, a different way, or did you just kind of mourn the loss of the game and move on? I had played it a few times before, so I'd played it through as like a male character because there's a character in there called Dorian who's a mage, and I really wanted to romance him. So, um, and he's gay, so you have to play as a, a male presenting uh-huh. character to romance him. So, I played through like that, and then I think I got really invested into the game and I was like, no, I want to be, this is like, I want to romance Colin. So here's the setup. Um, and I have sort of gone back in because one of the best romantic pairings in the game is romancing um, the, like the Elven character whose name I have not forgotten. Solace. I can't believe like I totally blanked that out. So the Solace mounts is like the core, big angsty dramatic romance of the game mm-hmm. because he turns out to be the big villain of the whole series or that sort of, part of the game so I started playing again as an elven character with the thought of romancing him but it's just I think I did such a thorough playthrough that I'm ready for something different so I went on I played The Witcher 3 which has got kind of a similar kind of vibe where like mm-hmm. you're, you're Geralt but you can still make choices in the game that mm-hmm. will affect 
thing. And then I got really deeply into Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is so cute. It's like you're the professor at this military academy and Mm -hmm. you have like this little class of students but it's also got like this very like matchmaking element where you can romance one of them and then you can also pair up the characters so like I've just done millions of playthroughs of that being like okay cool who am I gonna Mm -hmm. (laughs) put together this time so yeah but I love Dragon Age and I think if I ever have like the time to sit down and the desire like I would love to go back in and just do like a really complete sort of playthrough again I'm waiting for the new one to come out they keep sort of delaying it and it's like it's going to be amazing when it is done but well that's the that's the problem with like these massive games is yeah (laughs) honestly they're not too dissimilar from like fantasy novels where yeah I mean you know I'm still eagerly waiting the rest of the Song of Ice and Fire books yeah yeah so many other people I think Dance of the Dragons had just come out when I was pregnant with my first son and I was on maternity leave and I just got completely obsessed and read all of the books. I listened mm-hmm. to like Game of Thrones lore podcast when I couldn't sleep and I'm just like, yes, can't wait for Winds of Winter and here we are, like my son's just turned 11 and I'm like, well, one day. Yeah, listen, I my, uh, my favorite author is Erin Morgenstern. I adore her. I got to interview her when The Starless Sea came out, which has since become... My favorite book. I have a Starless Sea tattoo. Like I adore it. And she's only written two books. It was that and the Night Circus. And I think those two were seven years apart. And she told yeah, me. Yeah, during... I feel like that was about Donna Todd, who wrote the Sea. Yeah. One of my favorites. And like everybody has all these predictions of like, well, about every 10 years she does a new book. And like honestly, good on them because I feel like doing especially like YA fiction there's this kind of you get on this track of like a book a year and it's exhausting and I was just gonna say between like I'm not releasing a book next year and I'm really looking forward to having like a year off because I think you need that sometimes creatively to just have a little bit of (laughs) yeah that's such an interest and I want to get into your your books in just a second but I want to ask if you why do you think that is because you're right like I feel like YA fantasy they're not that much shorter it's not like a less it's not less of a lift on you as an author as compared to like a quote-unquote adult fantasy writer but like why do you think there is such a like a demand or a like expectation as a YA fantasy author that you're going to have a book come out every year who puts the demand like if it's maybe it's a pressure we put on ourselves as well Mm -hmm. as like I know with like with a series like I think the publishers like you to they want to keep people's attention and like, yeah. you know, sound like I'm going to sound all Ridley Scott and grumpy about like technology, but I feel like people's attention spans are not like, it's hard to keep someone's attention span for a long time because there's so many different things all happening at once. And yeah. so I feel like, especially with a series, they want you to, you know, to, to catch you while you're still interested rather than, you know, Oh, like the first book of that came out five years ago, but I think there's always room, like if you're really struggling as an author, I don't think you should feel pressured to like Mm -hmm. turn the book out. Like I think you can push the deadline if you need to. But for me, I think, especially when I started as a debut author, I think I felt a lot of pressure to just break out. And Mm -hmm. I think there's pressure around debuts where like you feel like it's your only chance. And if your first book isn't like this gigantic blockbuster, then that's, 
it for you and you have to keep going because if you stop then everyone will forget about you and you know like someone else will come in and Mm. I guess attention span sort of thing so I don't know how much of that is actually truth and how much of it is just me putting pressure on myself because I think probably like a lot of creative people I'm a big perfectionist and very hard on myself and try to unlearn a lot of that but I feel really fortunate to be in a position where I'm not writing a series. I've got three books out in the world now. I'll have like a paperback release next year. So I have like a bit of breathing room to go, no, I think I need, I need a year. Like I need a longer amount of time before Mm -hmm. I write something next because I want more time to sort of have space between projects, sit with it and let it be its own thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just, I've never really thought about that. And I have a YA author that I'm talking with. And I was like, you know what? I'm curious, like if you said, like you said, if that's demand by others or the self-imposed, I'm sure much like most things is a little column. Yeah, a little I think it's a bit of everything. I mean, and also financially, you know, like if you want to keep like any kind of creative industry, it's very like a weird sort of windfall kind of feeling yeah. payment. You know, you'll get a book advance and then you'll get it paid out. And then until you sell another book, you're not sort of, so I think financially as well, people kind of like to keep selling books for that reason, which is perfectly. That's legitimate. a good reason too. Yeah. Yes, um, that's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned before we started recording that Dragon Age has had an influence on your writing of kind of like in a direct through line. You, you mentioned that you had done some sort of some, some fan fiction. So I can, you kind of talk about that a little bit and how this video game that you adore has sort of kind of catapulted you into the, the creative side of the world. Yeah. So I had always written my own sort of work. Um, I did creative writing honors at university, but it was all like short pieces, sort of short stories. And Mm -hmm. I found the idea of writing like a novel length thing so daunting. Like I'm sure a lot of people do, where you just think, how do you write that many words? How do you write a story (laughs) that stands like And so as sort of like a challenge to myself, I decided to do NaNoWriMo and I decided to write Dragon Age fan fiction as my thing because I sort of, I love reading fan fiction and I think that was sort of like supplementary to playing the game. I was also very immersed in reading like a lot Mm of really detailed um, Dragon, Dragon Age fanfic stories and I wanted to write my own ones. So it was kind of like, a good way for me to creatively train my sort of stamina, I guess, because I mm. had these friends in the world that was already built. And so I was sort of playing around in this sandbox that was already created and learning how to write a story that would go for 50,000 words or however long it was meant to be and all of that. And like just proving to myself that I could do it as well. Mm-hmm. So it was it was good fun. And it was like, I sort of, as I played through the game, I wrote the story as well. So it was just this very like creatively immersive experience that was really lovely and kind of, I guess, put me in the zone of wanting to continue doing that with my own, my own work. So how did you transition then from, like you said, fan fiction, you have the you have the advantage, quote unquote, of it's a pre-existing world. You don't have to do the world building from scratch. So how did you transition from that to like, okay, I actually want to make a go of building my own world and creating my own story and and trying to query it and all that fun stuff? Um, I think like a big part of it was like proving to myself that I could write something that was novel length. So mm-hmm. doing it 
like a fan fiction thing. I was like, okay, like just I am capable of producing this amount of words, which was like something that was really empowering to discover yeah. for me who'd only ever written sort of short fiction. But uh, the book that became my first book, which was Lake Sedge, that was the book that I queried and gained an agent with. Um, that had actually been like a short story that I'd written as part of my honours year. And I'd always sort of felt like I wasn't done with it, felt like I wanted to explore it a little bit more. And so I was feeling so in, like encouraged after writing this NaNoWriMo piece that I was like, well, why don't I try now to do this with my own sort of work? Because it was just at a time in my life where I was feeling like trying to pursue publication had always felt too scary, I think, because mm-hmm. rejection. I'm like, if I don't try, I can't fail kind of thing. So yeah. even though, because people often ask me, oh, did you always want to be an author? And I'm like, I did, but I didn't sort of give myself permission to want it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then I got to a stage in my life where my work contract was finished. My youngest was starting school. And so it worked out to make more sense for me to be like a stay-at-home parent. And then I thought I wanted to go back to university and study creative writing again, but I didn't get into the program and I was like, maybe I could just do this on my own. Like, maybe I don't need a program. Like, I don't need to go to university to write a novel. So I just sort of thought I may as well. Like, I was just at the stage in my life where I'm like, now is the time to be brave and see what happens. So I wrote the manuscript. I was lucky enough to get mentored in a program called Awesome Mentor Match, where I learned a lot about writing from a very generous published author who mentored me. And then that sort of led into querying and luckily finding an agent mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, the thing I'm as someone who is currently querying it is you know it can be exhausting and a bummer and frustrating but then like I don't know I I keep like the way I I thought about it when I was writing this book was it was something where I was talking to a friend of mine who is an author and also a book podcaster and I remember I talked talking to her and saying like there should be more books of like x y and z and she's like, so write it. And I was like, well, but I want to read it. And she's like, if you want to read it, other people want to read it too. And if yeah, it doesn't exist. Like, I've always sort of tried to write the books that I want to read because I know like I remember with querying, like there's always this pressure of like trying to predict what the market will want or trying to write something. And like nobody knows. Like yeah, I wish no you idea. could predict what the market would want. Like how amazing would that be? But at the same time, like I think if you write something that you're so in love with and passionate about there must be other people out there who are going to love it and that will shine through with your writing as well yeah and well and the fact that like it like you said the idea if you try to think of like i'm going to write a novel yes it sounds crazy but it's only crazy until you start doing it and then once you've done it like and you're an unpublished author who's querying, you might think to yourself like the idea that i would ever be a published author is crazy but it's only crazy until it isn't like it's it's one of those things where I don't know. I, I just, I always think that about like when I talk to debut authors, I'm like, it's so yeah. unbelievable that I'm in this space. I'm like, it, well, maybe, but it's not. Yeah. There's like a good case to be made for like giving yourself permission to be proud of your creative yeah. work even without the gatekeeping sort of thing, because publishing is such a fickle industry that does not, much to my constant frustration, it's not like a merit-based thing where you have these really clear parameters of, okay, now you've made it. Okay, now you've done a good thing. It's it's always shifting and you really have to sort of 
give yourself validation to sort of keep going. And I remember before I was querying and people would ask like, what do you do? And I guess like there was this tendency for me to be like, oh, I'm just a stay at home parent. But then I'd be like, no, I'm a, I'm a writer. I write because that's what I was doing every day when my children mm-hmm. were at school, I'd sit down and treat it like a job even before I was like a published author or I had an agent. Like I didn't want to let like, okay, I'm not allowed to take this seriously until X. So mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to call yourself a writer if you are a writer. Like you don't have to wait for an agent to sort of choose you out of the slush pile. So I think... <laughs> And it's hard to do that. It's hard to sort of claim like validity of creative work because it's sort of, it can feel so frivolous, you know, it's like, oh, not at home trying to, you know, cure world hunger. You're just writing books, but at the same time, like it's important work. So. Well, and I, and I think it's like, because there's this belief, so I, we're going to get to your book in one moment. I just really love this conversation. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's just, I, I love the thought of like, like you said, People seem to think because in theory, because we're just sitting at home on a computer, like in theory, anyone can write a book. And in theory, that is true. But for someone to be able to create whole new worlds, to create entire characters out of thin air and plot lines and build together a cohesive story, like that is something that should be celebrated, even if you're not quote unquote published yet, or you don't have an agent, like like you said, if if you are Right. Like if I was going to university, I would call myself a student. I would say I'm studying creative writing. I am a writer because I am writing a story. Like I totally agree with you. I love that mindset of like, no, I, I'm a writer. That's what I'm doing right now. I love that so, so much. So. And it's like, it's no small thing, like sitting down and having the like stamina to finish writing a book is like it's a big deal like I often Mm -hmm. have people ask me like how do you write a book and I'm like I honestly I think it's just doing it like there's no Mm -hmm. easy way around it which is kind of unfortunate a lot of the time because it'd be nice to have a shortcut but yeah like the dedication that it takes it's a career that really demands like a lot of dedication and self-discipline and yeah yeah there's no way to cheat that process um (laughs) okay so speaking of your writing can you introduce my listeners to your new book unholy terrors and i want to ask you some questions about that but before i do can you kind of introduce them to your latest novel okay so unholy terrors is a standalone dark romantic fantasy about a girl who is a holy warrior and she has to team up with the monstrous boy she's sworn to kill ostensibly to stop the rise of a terrible eldritch power but she's also interested in finding out about her origins and how did it feel after writing a couple books like you said that were the 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 first two were in the same world is that correct right yeah they're a duology yeah how did it feel to once again be kind of creating a world from scratch after spending so much time in the previous one you had created I really enjoyed it. It, So it's actually been like a story that I'd had sort of like the little seedling ideas for quite a while um, because it was the, the book which became Unholy Terrors, which was a very different story to begin with, was what I was working on as my like, you know how people say, do you like write the weight? So while I was querying like Serge, this was the project that I was distracting myself with. But I think it was really really enjoyable to write like this is my first book that I sold after my debut book deal because I sold like two books so it was my first mm-hmm. book like an established author my first non-debut 
sort of book, my first book after writing a series, I just, it felt really, it just felt good to be able Mm -hmm. to sort of prove to myself that like, yes, I can do this. I can write something else other than like the, because there's always this fear. I'm like, what if this is it? Maybe I could only ever write one book, but they do continue. Like, it's nice to know that I can continue to sort of find that. Yeah. And it was just fun. It was fun after working on the same characters and story for, you know, nearly three years to be able to go on to like a new character. And mm-hmm. So along those lines, for you, is character what kind of comes first when you're building, when you were building out a, a new story or is it the the world or like an action, I guess, like what comes to you first as like sort of that first seed of how you want to build out this new adventure? I think for me, it's definitely character because I adore writing very character driven stories mm-hmm. and reading them. And so I'll sort of start with a character dynamic. Often it'll be like a romantic dynamic. So with Unholy Terrors, I was like, okay, I want it to be an enemies to lovers romance with like a sort of forced alliance between these two characters who have like an ideological opposition. So what would be like a really good setup for that? And then like the idea of like this unholy, holy dichotomy. It's so classic, but it's there's such a rich sort of well of, emotions to draw from um and then like the next sort of stage will be like I think like the aesthetic of like how I want the book to sort of feel to the mm-hmm. reader what I want the world to feel like visually um more so than like what sort of do I want to set it in like a medieval fantasy world or whatever so I think I wanted it to feel different to Lake's Edge which had been very sort of foresty gardeny so I like after I'd read Wuthering Heights I really wanted to set something in like a moorland kind of because I wanted to feel different as well um to my previous book so I came up with this idea of like this desolate moorland that was full of like ruined cathedrals and Mm -hmm. um how that could sort of become an influence on the type of story that would happen there and that sort of thing yeah, I think I saw so it described somewhere as gothic fantasy, which I adore, like a yes. perfect description <laughs> of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know I, I really do. I, I love that. I feel like it's a really, you mentioned starting with characters. And for me, that's that's the same way. Like you can give me a 220 page book about a, a small town in the States, or you can give me a sprawling 900 page fantasy book, but it doesn't matter what the world is and the actions at its heart for me I need to care about the characters like I always talk about I don't love thrillers often because so often it's just like a cast of characters who are all just jerks and it's like I want to feel I think when they're done well they're like I'm a big Gillian Flynn fan and I think she is a really good example of how to write like a thriller with compelling like yeah non-two-dimensional sort of characters yeah and to be clear, like I, there are some I like for sure, like but there I know are what you mean, like I think, and there's definitely like different for me. Like I often like I really crave like this intersection of fantasy and romance and like prosy writing. Yeah, it's, like the whole grail. And I'd often pick up a book and be like, "Oh, this one looks good," and I'd start like flipping through it and it'd be like, "And so and so has to sort out the political situation between them." I'm like, "No, no, I don't want that. I want the hot villains." So yeah, well, and that, but that's the thing is, like you said, I when you know people like people may 
initially like people may fall in love with the world that you create a fantasy world that they can like you said they can they can do their own uh, fan fiction and they can play in the space but at the end of the day like i'm not gonna read like you're talking about before like all the game of thrones like i'm not gonna read a thousand page book just because there's dragons um, in the no, background no, I think, like my favorite part of like the game of thrones series was the relationship between Jon snow and Ygritte, where like mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like the reluctant enemies to lovers team up. Yeah. And so I think like even when people use that as like an example of like a big sweeping fantasy, he does character like dynamics and character driven yeah. stories as well. And that's always what's drawn me in. So yeah, like those those small stories within the massive yeah there's like this huge big worldwide scale thing going on but like you're more interested in like who's Jon Snow's father and like are these people really like the same person are these Uh people gonna like it's great um so for you what if anything was the most challenging part about writing a new world and new characters and like new adventures what was there anything that you found challenging about this or was it all really just like excitement to get at a new project I think it was a lot of it was excitement but there was also like I think a lot of self-confidence in you know like there's always this fear of you know like with the series I kind of people knew what they were getting into with the second book because they'd read Lake Surgeon (laughs) so I'm like will people like this new world as much will it be like something that readers connect with I think it was mostly like it wasn't so much like the actual act of storytelling and writing the book was kind of straightforward and enjoyable for me as a creator, but the sort of worrying about how it would be received and if people would love it. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably something that all authors fear. And also like knowing like the whims of publishing are so uncontrollable and mm-hmm. like wanting the best for this book because I want it to be able to reach as many readers as possible because I'm so proud of the story. And like, you know, you want it to be able to connect with the people who will enjoy it. And so much of that is outside of your control. You can't like go around and follow the book everywhere and make sure you have to trust the publisher to sort of do that end of things. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think a lot of it is like letting go of what I can't control and accepting what I can. And yeah. (laughs) I'm laughing because having interviewed authors for like a decade now like I said I I've interviewed debut authors who no one had heard of I've interviewed like the most successful authors in the world and everything in between and like everyone has that same feeling like I remember interviewing um V.E. Schwab and this was not when her career had just started it was like for the it was like for the invisible life of Addie LaRue a book that has now sold like three million copies I know I don't really like it's so funny because I'm like well I guess if V.E. Schwab feels like that then like because I and see I can, sometimes she's like, what if nobody ever reads my book? And I'm just like, yeah. oh, I'm not, it's not just me. She, she literally told me a story and she told me I was welcome to share this. But like, she literally told me a story. I, I got to interview her a couple of times. She was talking about how she had a, a manuscript of a book that hadn't seen the light of day. And she's like, and I was sitting on Neil Gaiman's table, pitching him the story, wondering if anyone would like it. And I was like, did you just hear the sentence you just said to me? Like... <laughs> Of course people are going to, but this is all to say, like, I think what you're yeah. feeling is natural. <laughs> I think so too. And I think like, it's really hard to get out of your own head as well, because it's so like, there's such a disconnect from like, you're sitting at your desk. I mean, I'm in Australia on the other side of the world, sitting at a yeah. desk writing a story that's coming out 
all over the world and it's so easy to feel like does anyone even know that this is happening but <laughs> it does and I I actually speaking of Yishwab she made this really cool post where I think she talked about like here's all the things that I worry about and here's all the things that are in my control and like in my control was like the work and yeah. it's really I think especially now there's all this pressure on authors where they're like oh you should go on TikTok and then you'll go viral and that'll make your career and I'm like yeah but you're not going to have a career if you don't write a book in the first place and it's not my job to make TikTok content my job and what I want to do is to write books so Mm -hmm. I think we sort of feel like oh but if we you know if we do this thing if we go viral if we go on thing and you know whatever but at the same time it's like maybe we can't control so much of publishing, but we can control the writing. And I, I yeah. feel like it was Schwab. I feel like she knows what she's talking about. So <laughs> she's very inspirational and that was really good advice. Yeah. And like, and to your point before, it's like, the, I think it part of that, like being on TikTok and being all over the place, like there's just this need, people feel this need, like if I'm not in front of people, I'll be forgotten. And like, then what? But like you said, you, you I write a good book. I definitely feel that as well. Like, I mean, when Twitter was big, I found it really not great for my mental health as an author. And I struggled for a long time because I was like, what's going to happen if I leave? Am I going to ruin my career by not being on Twitter, talking to people about my book? But in the end, I left and it was quite cathartic to sort of let that go. And I think I'm a big believer in only doing the kind of social media interaction that brings you joy as an Mm -hmm. author. Like, I don't think anyone should feel pressured to be doing things that make them uncomfortable or it takes time away from the creative process. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I <laughs> The less social media I can do, the happier I am. That's yeah, I, totally I, mean, I enjoy it in a way, but I've definitely like had to constantly sort of navigate like how much time I want to give to it. And yeah. 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 Speaking of time, you've been super, super gracious. I have one last question for you. I always end every discussion by having the author who has come on give a recommendation of any kind. It can be a book. It can be a recipe, a TV show. It can be a video game. What, anything you would like to recommend for people to to check out. Now is the time. Now is the time. Okay. Um. You know what? I think I'm going to recommend... This has made me think too hard now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so I have been completely immersed in Finley Fenn's Orcsworn series, which is like a romance fantasy book, uh, not YA. It's definitely adult about orcs and the women who love them. And it's been like a complete delight to read. They're so beautifully written, so romantic, so spicy. And it's just been a complete joy to work my way through all of these books while I've been stressed about my upcoming release. So I feel like if anybody likes fantasy romance and is looking for like an excellent distraction at a stressful time, then I recommend those books. <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. I People will absolutely <laughs> get lost in, in Unholy Terrors. It is such a, a wonderful story. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you thank for you, having me. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell.
Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.